This is a HeadGum Podcast. Vulture's Good One Podcast is sponsored by Visible, a new phone service that gives you unlimited everything, including data at speeds up to 5 megabits per second on Verizon's 4G LTE network for just $40 a month, all in. Hello, welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest picks a joke from their career to play and discuss how it came together. And we find joke loosely, because for different people in the comedic arts, a joke can serve a different purpose depending on what they need. For late night hosts, like this week's guest, Late Late Show host, James Corden, there are joke jokes he might tell as a monologue or what have you, but there are jokes that take the form of segments that can be returned to ever so often, Whatever that show needs such a flavor. This episode will be talking about such a segment, Crosswalk the Musical, in which the show puts on a musical in the crosswalk by the studio, or sometimes Broadway or the London streets. I should note a functioning crosswalk, with real cars and everything. However, it's not just a stunt. Each installment, and there have been 10 released since this recording, is paired with a sort of making-of documentary in which James gets to play the sort of person who would take on such an endeavor and take it seriously. We walk through all the installments and the quirks they offer. Though I'll, I'll note, there was a version with Will Smith doing the performance of Aladdin that aired after the interview was conducted. I'll double note, James mentions an extra special new one, and I can tell you it's not the Aladdin, but one that will come out soon enough. Without further ado, we will start with the first ever crosswalk the musical, Grease, which aired in April 2015, right after James took over the Late Late Show gig. Actually, I lied, there is one further ado. I have a preface we will play before the clip. The episode is mostly focused on what happened at the point James heard the idea as a sort of captain of the ship, but I I wanted to hear about the backstory before it ever reached James. So first you'll hear from Ian Carmel, the current co-head writer of The Late Late Show and the original creator of Crosswalk the Musical. Then you'll hear Grease, then you will hear James and I. So take it away, Ian. The idea for Crosswalk the Musical came to me while I was walking down a... Fairfax in in Los Angeles, which is right by our studio, uh, CBS Television City. Fairfax is this weird street where it's like a combination of a bunch of like hype beast teenagers who are waiting in line outside of Supreme, and then uh, Orthodox Jews, you know, who are dressed up in the long coats and the and the hats with the beards and everything. And I was crossing a crosswalk on Fairfax, and I thought it would be very funny to do Fiddler on the Fairfax, like we do Fiddler on the Roof. On <laughs> on Fairfax, and the only place where it really made sense where you would have an audience would be to do it in uh, one of those crosswalks. We still have never done Fiddler on the Roof, and that could be because while I'm very Jewish, James Corden could not be less Jewish. I, I had no idea when I pitched it if it would be possible or even legal or not. I had literally no idea, but I figured, like, you know, you see people sometimes, like, moving equipment across crosswalks or, you know, they're walking their bikes across the crosswalk. So I figured there wouldn't be any legal barrier, especially in Los Angeles, which is so showbiz obsessed, to putting, uh, you know, like a forklift with Aladdin's carpet on it in the crosswalk. And then we did. I was such a new writer that I, you know, the lessons I've learned since then are like, think about what it's going to look like on TV. And like, you have to surround a good idea in enough stuff that it, you know, Makes sense because you can't just throw it out there and like, all right, here's James doing, you know, 
grease lightning in a crosswalk devoid of any context. Um, I've since learned that you need all that context, but uh, the original idea was no. It was just like, let's do a musical in the crosswalk, basically. Every time we do a crosswalk, we learn a little bit about what we can get away with in the crosswalk. So we try to come up with more ambitious, you know, uh, musical numbers and props. Uh, you know, in the Sound of Music one, we figured out we could put these platforms with bicycles on them so it looked like people were riding bikes in the crosswalk. And once we did that, it was a natural jump to putting pyrotechnics uh, into the Aladdin crosswalk. So it keeps evolving, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until at some point we're going to be doing it on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles. I'm sure of it. Today's the day, opening night. You know, all the work has been leading to this moment right now. And... I've been so excited about the company we've put together for this theatrical event. I'll never ever forget the day I, I told them what production we'd be doing. The musical we're going to be performing out there, I'm so excited to tell you this, is a little known musical you may have heard of called Grease. <laughs> Casting was tricky. It always is, it always will be when you're dealing with a company like this. I'm going to go down the line and I want to know how many sexual partners you have had. Go. 64. Go. 7. Go. 72. Go. Kind of one. Okay, 72, you're Rizzo. Okay, get it right? <laughs> this production could last 10, 20, 30 years where people are coming just to see Greece at Genesee and Beverly, you know? Seconds. Here we go, guys. Let's enjoy. Where's my, where's my jacket, guys? Where's my Danny Zuko? Where's my Danny? Um, where's jacket? I, can't, I can't go on without my jacket, guys. Where is it? I'll take your jacket off. I'll have to wear your jacket. Where's no? That's not Danny Zuko's jacket. Where is it? Where's my jacket? Where's my jacket? Where's my jacket? Where's my jacket? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my You've got to drive them hard. You've got to drive them hard. We're not messing around. What are you doing? You've got to be stage left. What? You've got to be stage
up enough. You, you, <laughs> no, you, you are no, killing you, it. You're you, killing it. You're you killing are killing it. Casting myself as Danny Zuko. Here's the thing. I don't see him as the lead. I think we've got a company full of leads. Everybody okay? Say crosswalk. Crosswalk. Say crosswalk. Crosswalk. Say James Corden. James Corden. All right, let's do it. <laughs> One, two, three, four. We, we go, go together. together. Remember forever. That's the way it should be. Why did I pick this intersection? I don't know. A lot of people are saying, oh, it's because your face is on. But, you know, listen, if I had my way, that wouldn't be there. <laughs> you know, I, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy this sort of thing at all. I'm just about, you know, the work and getting out there for the people. You, it's in shot, right? I am here with uh, the person behind the piece you just heard, James Corden. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I want to back up for a moment before we talk about the Crosswalk musicals and even Late Late Show, just to talk about musicals. Mm. Um, though you had two especially prominent parts in plays before this, the the History Boys and One Man, Two Governors, I know less about your background with musicals other than you're in Into the Woods, the movie. So beyond all that, sort of what was your experience? What was your relationship to them? Well, I sort of grew up in a house where I would just watch um, like Grease or Singing in the Rain mm -hmm. uh, or Grease 2 or then or then when those the animated mm -hmm. Disney films sort of with you know Aladdin Beauty and the Beast all those things they they were the these were the things that really sort of uh, that I would gravitate towards watching and when I got to about, I'd say like about 11 or 12, for my birthdays or whatever, I would I would sort of say to my parents, I, I don't want to have a party and I don't want a present. I would just like to go to the theatre because I think I knew it was expensive, but even I think as an 11, I didn't realise quite the financial constraints <laughs> yeah. I was putting on my parents to do such a thing. But they were, without question, the best days of my year when we would go and watch um, Carousel or uh, Return to the Forbidden Planet or uh, Cats or any, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or any of the shows that, that were that were on Broadway and my dad were a few months out from my birthday would say, okay, pick a show and and that's what we do. And, and, I, and I feel, like I say, I feel incredibly fortunate now that I have parents that were open to that, to... Because I realise now it wasn't just the price of a ticket. It was we all had to get on the train and go into London. And then it's like food or if we drove in, you had to park the car. All those things were, I'm sure, a weight, a burden on my parents. But they could see that there was like a fire that had been lit in me that, I, that that's all I wanted to do. I just thought this was the most incredible thing you could do with your time was to sit in a theatre. Like I can remember 
so vividly in uh, 20, 2011. Uh, he reminded me of this where we went to watch uh, Me and My Girl at the Adelphi Theatre. And I might have been, I don't know, 13, 14 maybe. And there was a brilliant actor, a brilliant actor in, in the UK called Gary Wilmot, who was in lots of big musicals. And uh, we and he'd taken over from Robert Lindsay and we left the theatre. It was the Adelphi on the Strand. And I said to Dad, I said, that's, that's what I want to do, Dad. Because I just remember thinking this guy was so funny. Like, he was so funny of the, the dance, the effortless of the way that he would sort of ease around the stage. I remember just being just transfixed by this entire thing that all of these people are coming together for one moment and it's just happening now and that's it. Like the the, the audience, the guy selling an ice cream, the cast, the band, the lighting, you come together for this moment right now and it happens and then it's gone, you know? And uh, I didn't go back to the Adelphi Theatre until we opened in the West End with One Man, Two Governors. And... Uh, makes me sort of quite emotional now, just the very moment of when my dad said, do you remember the last time we were here? I said, like, no. And he said, we went to see me and my girl. And he showed me, he said, we were stood right here. It's like, at like maybe 10 paces from the marquee. And you said, yeah. that's what I want to do, dad. And uh, he started welling up and I saw, and I feel it now even... I don't know. I've had quite an emotional morning. And I apologise, but uh, okay. but um, I'm aware that most comedians on your podcast are incredibly cynical about things <laughs> they're doing. I apologise in advance that I'm not that being, but that's what it meant to me to go to the theatre. So my my the, the the pinnacle of my ambition was just to be in a West End musical. I was like, there. That's it. I was like, well, if you, that's it. That is the absolute top of the tree. And uh, when I was 17. I was doing my A-levels, uh, which is sort of a bit, I think, you, I don't know what you call it here, but like it's between school and university, basically. Yeah, we don't really have a thing no. like that. But. So uh, I was doing my A-levels and I auditioned for a musical in the West End called Martin Gare, which was from the writers who had written Les Miserables and Miss Saigon, Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alan Bublil. And this was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's their next show this is going to be huge. Yeah. I was 17. I got cast. I realised maybe nine months into the run that what they needed was two boys to be children. Mm -hmm. But in in London, you can only work children for like three shows a week. So you need revolving cast. So they purposefully set out to find two boys who were 17, could conceivably be 14, and we could do eight shows a week. Yeah. And um, you and that and so I did and that was and that was my first ever job really was yeah. was in this musical and oddly it being the pinnacle I'd been in it for about six months I was so stood at the back like I just I didn't even have a, a micro I had one line yeah which was three words my three words in the show I had to run in in one bit and go roast the meats that was the only <laughs> bit I had on my own. And I thought, oh, no, this isn't the pinnacle. <laughs> You've got to go and do some other things. And but so that that's what the theatre, that whole world, that, that's, you know, it's, it's sort of ingrained in my life, really. Smash cut to fall of 2014. James Corden, which is you, is named, you. which is named the host of The Late Late Show. Uh, which means a lot of different things, but I wanted to ask you specifically about hiring writers. Mm. What were you looking for? Um, since it'll be relevant very soon in this interview, what did you see in Ian Carmel? So sort of both those questions. 
in truth, I didn't really know what I was looking for. I knew what I wasn't looking for. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for a group of people who'd gone, well, I did seven years at the Tonight Show, Jay Leno. I then went and did this show, this show, this show. I wanted people that would come in because no bit of us really wanted to make a talk show. My thing was like, I don't want to make a talk show. I want to make a variety show that can be chopped up and spread and shared on the internet. That's what I want to make. I want to make a a show that is almost a, a visual feast, really, that has ambition beyond what had traditionally been in that time slot. I wanted people that would go, oh, man, yeah. Because my thing was like, they don't understand. Like, we've got an hour. We are bound by nothing. We are not going to do monologue, despot, chat, chat, comedy, music, guest. Like, we're going to try and do everything. Some nights we'll do that. But the only days we do that is because we're planning something else that's going to be X, Y, or Z. We're going to get out. I want to get out of a studio. I want to be in amongst it. I want it to have scale and space and size. Like, our first week on the air where we were so aware that, like, we were starting at minus zero like I I wasn't I hadn't just done 10 years on Saturday Night Live I hadn't had a a Comedy Central I hadn't like I hadn't been on a talk show before I got offered this show like I I, I was so aware of that so we were like guys we've got to come out we've got to run out of the blocks we've got to come out so fast not only to let people know there's a show here to let publicists and guests know that there's a show here where we should bring our people. So like night one, we did this thing called Roll Call where we did all of Tom Hanks's movies. Night two, we did a carpool karaoke with Mariah Carey. Night uh, three, we did a, 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 I can't think like a sketch with like Will Ferrell or something, I can't really remember. Then we did Crosswalk the Musical, I think, was was then, or we'd certainly shot it then. Yeah, it was, it, it was two weeks later, but- Right, I was... so we'd shot it that day. Yeah. Um, and then our fifth show, we went and just did it from someone's house. We just turned up at someone's house and said, can we shoot a talk show in your house, please? You know, we were yeah. like, we got to come out fast. And so I, um, I take sort of great pride in, in the fact really that historically, I know that these shows, all anyone would say is, listen, it's going to take, take you a while to find your feet. You're going to stumble through it. And that's true to an yeah. extent, like, of course. But at the same time, I sort of go, well, in our first week, we found three or four bits that that not only are we still doing, they are of an ambition that they've grown in scale and are now probably like what you'd call, I guess, a a, a tentpole of our show, you know, because that's what you're looking for when you're planning these shows. When you're in in the, the early times of trying to get it together, you're like, what are the things that define our show? We've got to find stuff. We've got to find things that will hang out that we'll hang our show on. Yeah. If you're thinking of Letterman, it's top ten lists and stupid Petricks and Jay Leno's jaywalking and Kimmel's mean tweets and because if without that, you are really only reactive to what's happened that day. I imagine it's probably before you started. So, do you remember Ian pitching the idea? I remember it clear as day. So, so paint the picture for I remember everybody. it clear as day we were sat in a in a room which is maybe I don't know like 35 paces from where we're sat right now and it's quite a painful experience pitch meetings mm-hmm. because for a lot of the time we're all in the trench we're in the trench and like ah oh, and then and then every now and then you sort of say right guys in 3 weeks time we're all going to go over the top <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, some ideas are going to get shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And some might run. And so it's, and I sort of try and make a, a point of just going, look, none of, it doesn't matter. The worst thing you can do is not pitch something. The worst thing you can do is go, oh man, I'm not sure about this. Like you've got like, because there's no such thing as a bad idea until we all agree it's a bad idea. Yeah. And we're all going to have 50, you know? So let's just, because one idea can spawn sort of, which I think are the most brilliant times in those rooms where someone goes, I don't know about this. I had an idea about this thing. Mm -hmm. And so and someone will go, well, I don't think that's right. But what if, and someone goes, oh, yes, or, and someone goes, and, and then you go like, ah, now it's a thing. And it started with well, something which yeah. isn't fully formed. It isn't right there. However, we're going around the desk and, and it's important to say that Ian Carmel is amongst the most creative people and minds I've ever really met he also has an incredible way of pitching where he will he will do the opposite of what i just said which is like oh, i don't know about this he'll go well get ready because <laughs> here comes a huge one <laughs> he goes i imagine this will be my last day at the show because once you guys hear about this this will probably get picked up at multiple you know what i mean and yeah. it's kind of it, it actually really takes the air out of all the situation because it's it, it's glorious yeah ian was instrumental when i first met ian we sat uh, in a corner table of a sort of restaurant in West Hollywood where I was essentially just meeting writers. I had a very unsuccessful day of meeting writers in an office at CBS Radford, and it was a horrible experience. It was in a tiny room with a small window, and it couldn't have felt more like a job interview. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, we're trying to get teammates here, not employees. So uh, the, I had a very unsuccessful day of that and then decided to 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 move it to just meet in a casual yeah. environment. And I remember very specifically, <laughs> I sat with Ian and it was about maybe 5 p.m. Uh, maybe, yeah, 5 p.m. I reckon. And uh, the waiter came over and said, can I, can I get you a drink or anything? And I said, what do you want? And Ian said, are you going to have one? And I said, yeah. And Ian went, I'll just get like a vodka soda. And I went... Can I get a mint tea? And he went, oh my God, I said, are you getting a drink? I was like, yeah, no, I didn't know you meant alcohol, but I was like, I'm British, it's fine. Yeah. Like, it, like and he was like, oh man, this is a terrible start. He was, like, he was like, you really threw me under the bus. I said, are you having one? Yeah, like, yeah. all that stuff. And then we sat, and, and to be honest, we didn't really talk in that meeting necessarily about ideas for the show. We just talked about, feelings and what we want what i wanted it to feel like and how he felt as a viewer watching late night and how he felt that perhaps something that was missing was x or y and the sort of thing that he'd want to be part of was this and we chatted and we we diverted into you know stories and anecdotes and all those things and i think i sent an email as he was walking out the door saying i i He's, I want him to start immediately as yeah. soon as he can like he's now one of our head writers him and Lauren Greenberg are the head writers on the show and and he is uh, uh, a, just a force of nature really we were going around the table at this pitch room and he just went I wonder if 
there's a world in which you say your your theater, your your working life in America has predominantly been in the theater. LA doesn't really have a theater community, but you've you've made it your mission to bring one, mm -hmm. and you're gonna you're gonna perform them on a crosswalk. So when the light goes red, you everyone runs out. You perform a big musical number, and when it turns green, you sprint off as fast as you can. Yeah. And immediately we were like, that's it. That's a great, we loved it. We loved it. We loved the silliness of it, the ambition of it. And then sort of later on, it became like, how is this not just a stunt? Yeah. How is this not just a flash mob? Really? Yeah. And probably we don't have the budget to make it as impressive as, as some flash mobs <laughs> that, that happen in the yeah. middle of, you know, Grand Central Station or whatever. Yeah. So then after talking it through and going around it, and there was another great writer called David Javabam who worked on our show, who's written Broadway musicals. He's written openings to the Tonys and is an incredibly uh, brilliant, gifted musical writer. We, we were chatting and we were like, what if maybe the way to do this is because it's so silly is to put at the center of it a character who thinks it is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And it's not a great leap to think that those characters might exist in a world of theatre. Sure. And that was it, really. I was like, oh, now, okay, it's a character. I'm going to play a character of myself with this ludicrous ego that thinks that this isn't silly, that yeah. this isn't a stunt, that this isn't something stupid, that, that this is genuine theatre. And then the, the, the ego and the shouting and all those things. So then we were like, ah... Now this could really work because it's both sketch and stunt. Yeah. You get the visual of the stunt, the ludicrousness, the glory of the cutaways of those real people sat in yeah. cars. Plus, you're cutting in between a sketch with someone who is taking this so seriously. It, it hopefully only makes it funnier. Uh, I was listening to your interview with on David Tennant's podcast. You talk about the person you play on the show generally is a performance. I mean, we're you know, we're all deciding what parts of ourselves we're sharing so much. But you, you, you called the person you do on the show normally is a performance. And this is a performance of the the person you're playing on the show. You know, now we're getting like further and further. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess how much, in in that context, how much is this character rooted in something real f for you? I was thinking about, you know, the I, specifically how you always have them chant your name. Um, <laughs> because like you've, you've talked about before, you'd all, often get asked to play friends or things. Mm. And... You know, this is a guy who is very important for him to be the lead in all of these yes. things. So I guess sort of the question is threefold. is like, how much do you re relate to this character's sort of clear insecurities? What do you find funny about it? And in that context, still, what does it mean that you, though you're making fun of it, you still get to play the lead in all of these? The entire thing is sort of kind of ludicrous, but I've been in enough rehearsal rooms yeah. with directors who will be like, like, Talk to anyone who does a play or a musical, uh, single worst day, first day, without question. Your first day, because at some point you will be required to play a game. And you're and I can't bear it. I hate I like I it make it makes my absolute body crawl. The prospect yeah. of like, you know, improvisation games or chucking around a beanbag mm -hmm. and when it lands on you, you've got to be a twig so what i did really with this character was just draw on all of those sort of mm -hmm. experiences of making someone who 
believes that this is so important, but ultimately at his core, he is doing it only for his own yeah. devices. So he is almost certainly, well, definitely not talented enough to direct or act in a in any professional capacity. So I don't know if it's a heightened version of me. Yeah. But it's a heightened version of a egomaniac who is trying to convince people that what he's doing is for the greater good. Yeah. But fundamentally is only for his own satisfaction. Satisfaction. Yeah. Um and I think if you live in Los Angeles, it's very uh, easy to associate yeah. with that sort of mentality. How much are you sort of writing? What are you writing? Like as as a, you as in the collective you? Like what is being written? If I had one gripe about our show, it's that I feel like our writers don't get enough credit because for some reason people don't see it as writing. <laughs> yeah. Like if you write a scathing 11-minute monologue about yeah. so like oh that's right that's it that's yeah, it. Yeah. like the writing that goes into our show like because so much of it is supposed to look and feel effortless and improvised that is an unbelievable yeah. skill and in a world of sitcom is lauded and applauded like it really is like veep for example you like the dialogue it jumps around it's so snappy i believe it yeah. but in this world of sort of late night um, it's somehow not given. I don't think the uh, the the props, for want of a better yeah, word, yeah. that it that it deserves. So the sketch, the, the predominantly now they're they're written by um, the first pass will be always written by Louis Weymouth, who is a, a tremendously gifted writer. Who pretty much all of our sort of sketches, performance pieces have, mm -hmm. on some way, kind of I would say sixty percent of them have been touched by him. And Ian Carmel, who yeah. is, we've already established, sure. a genius. And then we'll start playing around with it together and just little bits and added stuff and things. And and all of those talking heads are predominantly written. And then there is an element with me when we're out there doing it that it becomes a kind of riff. Yeah. It becomes a riff, just the rehearsal footage, the, the stuff. But it's all really based in something that's been written and thought yeah, out. Especially the skeleton of the beats of what Oh, 100%. Doing. Because there isn't the time. Yeah. You really are stood at the edge of a road. <laughs> yeah. And... The road that you come to to come here, I yes. was like, this is the road this I've been watching it. all week. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what's kind of funny is like that first one with Greece. it was maybe like the cast, the you know, three, cam three cameras, mm -hmm. small skeleton crew and we're out there. Now when we do it, it's like we've got drones up in the sky. There's we've got maybe five or six. Can we're putting GoPros on the top of buildings at the end of Fairfax? Mm -hmm. You know, because we're like, as it's grown, it's grown. You yeah. know, how do you sort of shoot it? The most basics of like, you know, especially as it, it grows, there'll be more and more people, and they're doing costume changes. Though, and then it becomes this tight little thing. How long is a shoot for one of these things? How are you actually sort of putting it together? What is a day like? What was, or even what was the first day like? Um, well, mainly we, you're, I think the, the first day, if I remember rightly, when we did it with Greece, we rehearsed out on the roof out there, which, if I'm honest, was like, really none of that was written. Yeah. It was like, we just need to get some beats of you all rehearsing. And you actually had to also rehearse. Yes. <laughs> so I just started on this kind of riff of yeah. like, you know, like shouting and screaming and not enough and 
taking a fancy to a member of the cast, all those things, you know, all those sort of tropes of theatrical companies that you see. So there's, it's sort of three, threefold really. There's the, there's the actual physical rehearsing, which we're still shooting, but that's us actually learning choreography, blocking where we're going to be, which is on a sort of taped out crosswalk, either in the parking lot or on the roof. And that's where we'll figure that out. Then there's the shooting of like the sketch element of it. Then it's like, right, now let's get into costume. And once we're down there, your feet don't really touch the ground really because this, if you're not out on the crosswalk performing, you're either getting changed in an easy up tent at the side of the road mm. next to a bus stop or you're being dragged off to do any of the talking heads. So we'll have, so Louis will be with one camera crew, Ian will be with another camera crew and then Glenn, the director, will sit with these kind of nine monitors. And so the second someone's in, like, Louis will grab them and go, right, we need you for a talking heads. Uh, and sometimes you'll see someone go, oh, can I just get, and they go, no, no, because we need you in this costume. And it's gone and you do it in there right now, get changed. And then you're back out and it's like, right, it's red. And you run out, you do it. And now that we've started doing it with guests, because guests have started saying, oh, can I do that? Which yeah. is a tremendous compliment. There is always a moment where they go, oh, the, it's real cars. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah. I remember Alice and Janney going, so who's driving the cars? I was like, I don't know. And she was like, what do you say? It's just, it's just people. And she was like, what are you talking? I was like, yeah, it's just all that stuff. So there was one crosswalk where we ended, which was just, again, I'm doing this big goodbye and thank you and bowing and all that stuff. And a car came up and I kissed a guy's hand and then I don't know why. And it's incredibly dangerous. Really. I just got in his car and I said, let's go. And we just drove up the road and he was staring at me. I can't remember what I was dressed as. And he just went, the fuck is going on? I was like, just drive up here and I'll jump out here. But wait, because someone's going to get you to sign no, a release form. And I was wondering it. how you get the releases. Oh, for you like should see the people sprinting up the road. <laughs> There's off camera. What you can't see is maybe 10, 15 day players, PAs mm -hmm. sprinting up the road as fast as they can. Luckily, it's Los Angeles, so the traffic is always kind of bad. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But they'll be running up, and, and then also they're trying to convince someone. If they won't sign it, we're like, oh, we'll just blur it. Yeah. We'll just blur their face. But those cutaways, that's where the laughs are. Yeah. Because it's the notion of, oh, it's real, yes. you know? Let's take a break for a second from the comedy to be so very serious. Look, if I know you, which I do, I know you've been frustrated with your phone service. We've all been there. So I've got some honestly pretty cool news for you. There's a new phone service out called Visible. Long story short, you got unlimited everything, including data at speeds up to 5 megabits per second on Verizon's 4G LTE network for, dramatic pause, 40 bucks a month. Dun, dun, dun. There are no annual contracts, no hidden fees, and no stores. That's right, you never have to walk into a phone store again. Thank God I hate stores. Learn more at Visible.com. You do the first one. How do you remember feeling about it? You were like, "Oh, we got it. this is the, this is the thing. This is the no, show. not at all." I remember thinking, "Well, that was fun. I don't know if we'll do it again." Like because I didn't, you didn't, you don't know what it is till you see it. You know, yeah. you don't know what it is till it's put together in an edit. You know, I really enjoyed yeah. doing it. Yeah. I really had fun doing it, and you know, I kind of got told off for jumping up on some. I think I got up on someone's car on my knees and. Mm -hmm. 
And that 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 was like a, a sort of a ever so slight, like, James, if we're going to do this, you can't be jumping on people's cars. And yet you do in almost every single one of those. You know, but what I liked about it was, A, I got the chance to do some acting, which is something I, I really enjoy doing. And... And B, I, I just enjoyed the ambition of it. It felt original to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like an original idea. And that is hard. In the, it <laughs> yeah. is, you know, in this in this space, in this landscape, to have a new idea is is difficult. Yeah. And, and and I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I know that that is an original idea. I know I haven't seen a version of that on another late night yeah. show, you know? And that's yeah. what you're really searching for. So then... It gets edited together, and I imagine in that you're like, oh, now we see what this piece is. Mm. It airs, you know, it's essentially six or so months, right, before you do another one. Yeah. So sort of what is the thing from you do one and then that seven months of gestation before you're like, let's do it again. Let's do Fan of the Opera. So we're like taking to that to doing another one, which you you did Fan of the Opera September 2015. The truth is what we don't want to do on our show ever is – do things in in a routine you know like carpool karaoke which i I think our our most known sort of segment we've done once this year you know so we we don't ever want to just keep sort of repeating you want them to feel like a treat when they come oh there's a new one and phantom of the opera was in town at the pantages um we'd already shot something with them uh, a, a really silly Sketch, kind of playing the same character, really. I was was like, oh, this guy has multiple, it's like (laughs) your, yeah. Um, Where he turned up at the theatre thinking he was being asked to play the Phantom and actually was just the fault. And we did it for real, like in the show. Mm -hmm. And so we knew Phantom was coming to Los Angeles. There was a thought of like, I wonder if that would be fun. And and I remember the only thing I said is like, we can only do it if they'll give us the boat. Like we we can only oh, do so it's it. Their boat. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the <laughs> boat from the show. The the last thing needs to be going across the crosswalk on that yeah. gondolier boat. Like it, that heightens the yeah, thing. The, the spectacle is now more ludicrous. Okay, okay, get the boat off the road. Move the boat. 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 So I was like, if, if they will let us use the boat, then we should do it. And th- to their credit, they were phenomenal partners. Sure. And, and actually, the actors that were in that one were the cast who were in Phantom at the Pantages yeah. on that, you know, North American tour. In So in that one, you have a joke where you go... If you get out there and you give it your all, you are doing theatre in Los Angeles, reaching out. And like that alone is a joke. How much of this... I mean, you talked about that as a little bit of the original idea. To do theatre in LA, this is what it has to be. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> That's it. Like, you know, um, I mean, I should say, and I do think it's important to say, there are some wonderful theatres sure. happening, particularly downtown. But from where I live, downtown is a, uh, that's a two hour drive. Yeah. Like, if I was in London and I heard about a great show in Birmingham, I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to go, you know. So, and that as downtown has become a more populated place, I can see how that actually will, I think, in the future, become a hub for some brilliant theatre. You know, I think the theatre that we're talking about is your blockbuster, marquee, you know, thing. And um, 
Yeah, you know, it's just, <laughs> look, the whole thing is so silly. So then it's about six months, no, it's probably eight months until you do The Lion King, which yes. is the first with guests. It has yes. Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. Byrne. Yeah. Why Why The Lion King? How did that one come up again? What do you remember from it? It has to be a thing that, that people have gone, oh, I know that that's a show. Mm. And I realize that it's madness that they'd be doing it here. So, you know, Grease, Phantom, The Lion King is, is of course, known to everybody. And then... Um, Seth and Rose were in a, a movie that was coming out and and they were coming by the show and there'd been talk of like, oh, could we do something? And we were like, I wonder if they'd be into this. And we thought maybe it will play into their sensibilities of wanting to have fun. And to everybody's surprise, they were like, yeah. I mean, I take, I think, all of the credit for Seth Rogen now being in the live-action Lion King. Seth is the first time someone in these sketches calls out that it's... It says it's dumb what is happening. Did I enjoy it more than I thought I was going to? No. I probably enjoyed it less than I thought I was going to. I, this is... Someone's going to get killed doing this. And then they'll be like, why did we do that? So what that does is sort of underlines what the sketch does there's the certain sort of paradox of both it's both really earnest and also like really ironic what you're doing right it's both like really appreciative of the, that theater's great and but you, what is that line that you hope to walk right you don't want to just be like making fun of theater clearly oh god no absolutely not that's that's not what we know and i would hate to yeah. think that anybody would, would ever think that's what we're doing what we're doing i think is making fun of the ridiculousness of those egomaniacs. Yeah. And when Seth and Rose wanted to come on board, we were like, well, I don't know if people will believe Seth that he would be enthusiastic about this. So we were like, well, how do we combat that? And then it was like, well, why don't we just make it that he had no idea what he'd signed up for and that he's the first person to be like, this is the stupidest thing anyone's (laughs) ever done. Are Are you insane? And so with Seth, we were like, the more, because we because we ultimately want everybody who comes by the show to feel comfortable. Yeah. We're like, we know he's never going to run out and be like, the circle of life. <laughs> so we're like, if you just, if our cut to you is you're being a tree and you are looking so bemused in a costume, it will only make it funnier, you yeah. know? And, and it was probably time for actually knowing that, that you know, we didn't know at this point that we're going to keep doing it, you know, like... It was probably time for somebody to put a slight pin in it and be yeah. like, is this a joke? What the <laughs> yeah. hell are you talking about? You know? Then it'd be a bit of time you did Beauty and the Beast with the stars of the movie Beauty and the Beast, Josh Gad, Dan Stevens, Luke Evans. Yeah. So how did that come about? What that, that probably is the one that came about the quickest, probably, because Beauty and the Beast was coming out and Luke, Josh and Dan were all booked on the show to promote the film, but on different nights. Mm-hmm. And I think I just sent an email to James Longman, who's a producer on our show, um, and just was like, look, they're all in L.A. Should we not be trying to do Beauty and the Beast Crosswalk the Musical? So then you've got to go to Disney and ask for permission for the songs, which is always a slight thing. Like, one night, there are some musicals, which I'll tell you when we're not here, that we've not been allowed to do, which is of great uh, sadness to me. But... um, Disney are a kind, of, kind of, I would say, amongst the, the, the most amiable studios yeah. in that thing. I think they understand the way that, that things can travel. They understand uh, how to do that stuff. And it was like, yeah, yeah this is great. You know, and, and um, so then it was just an ask out to Luke, Dan and, and, and uh, Josh. 
I think I, I knew I knew all three of them well enough to know that they'd go, oh well, that's more fun than sitting in a hotel room and just answering the same question yeah. in five minute cycles. If I can go and have some fun for two hours, so it was sort of an email sent on a Friday, and we shot it on the Wednesday, and then it went out like three oh, or four wow. days later. It was probably our quickest turnaround from idea script shoot because also it's not as simple as just writing a script suddenly it's like costumes music recording it booking a cast where are we going to be how are we going to like it is an uh, an unbelievable machine it takes an incredible amount of uh hard work and commitment to make something look so <laughs> ridiculous yeah, yeah. you know who wants to do it in front of millions of people in a film when you can do it in front of half a dozen Lyft and Uber drivers here. Josh, 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 yes. Josh, let's go! Be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie your napkin around your neck, shall we? And we'll provide the rest. Soup de jour, hot of the what we Pretty soon after you did the Mary Poppins, when you did the London episodes with yes. Sir Ben Kingsley. Yes. Well, that was a real... So we were going, we were taking the show to London for a week. We got this message, you know, we'd been out to, to see if Sir Ben Kingsley would, would come on the show as a guest. He wasn't around the week we were doing the actual shows, but we were told, look, he'd very much like to be part of something. And so we'd sent to his publicist, you know, what about doing, we're going to do Mary Poppins. James is going to be Mary Poppins. What if... Ben Kingsley is Bert. And uh, this email came back saying, yeah, absolutely, oh my God, this is fantastic. Yes, we're in. We've subsequently realised that nobody had had that conversation <laughs> with Ben Kingsley. So we're filming in a place where we, you know, we don't really know it as well. We're not here, you know, we have our regular crew. We're, we're in Somerset House. We're using a, a crosswalk right at the end of the, the, the strand. It is unbelievably busy. It's, there's, you know, there's... Lots of restrictions over what we can do, can't do, people being places. It's a much more of a working sidewalk than the one we're at yeah. here, you know. So Ben Kingsley arrives. I'm a huge fan. He's been on the show before. He was tr a tremendous guest. And he gets out the car. And I don't know if these are his first words, but they're amongst them. He says at some point, with no, I should say, with no aggression or or or, uh, or anger, just more bemusement, what the hell is this <laughs> and what are we doing? And I was like, sorry, do, has, has, nobody, has nobody told you what we're going to do? And he was like, no, I just got told we're doing a sketch and I should be here. And I was like, right, that that is true to a point. And then I'm sat in this sort of makeshift dressing them room that we've made. We've tried to make it as nice as we can with like, you know, two kind bars and a mm -hmm. bottle of water. And I said, uh, and I'm pulling out my phone thinking, and as I'm Googling a crosswalk, the musical, I'm thinking, is the best thing to do to show him <laughs> one or is the worst thing to do to show him one? He could absolutely just 
Leave. Yeah, yeah. And then as I'm typing in, I'm thinking, which one do I show him? And I think, well, I'll show him the Seth Rogen one because that's got people in it. (laughs) And I think, well, actually, if he does leave, it's better if he just leaves now and we just try and figure it out. Then he leaves in an hour's time, you know? And I put it up on my phone. I give it to, I hand my phone to, let's be honest, one of the best and most accomplished British actors of his generation. And I just say the words, it's going to be a bit like this. And I stand and it's like 14 minutes long or whatever. (laughs) And I'm stood there and there is not a chuckle, (laughs) not even a corner of his mouth is raised. And I'm like this, I'm getting hot around my neck. Also, my phone keeps buzzing (laughs) while he's watching it. So these texts keep coming up and they're saying things like, James, I don't think Ben Kingsley has a fucking clue what he's doing here. And these are just, and I'm like leaning in so quickly just to scroll them away, scroll it away. Anyway, it ends. And before he can say anything, I go, look, clearly you've been misinformed. But I said, I want you to know like we, we've been so clear with, with everybody that like, this is what it is like. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm about to say, listen, if you don't want to do it, like I get it. This is a, it's a weird to run out in front of a road. He goes, he goes, well, is there like cue cards for the words? I was like, there can be, absolutely. He goes, well, then this will be fun. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what a legend. And then he just threw himself into it in the yeah. most glorious way. And and God bless him. Like he ended up like phoning his son saying, like, you've got to come down and see what I'm oh, doing. Wow. This is ridiculous. I'm singing super califragilistic <laughs> in the middle of a road, like, and his son came down. It was, it was lovely, you know? The next one was Hair with Lynn Manuel Miranda. Yeah, well, you know, look, if you're going to do something about Broadway and, and, and you know, the, the notion that you're trying to do something, and uh, we were like, well, what a great premise if we could say, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda has had good to moderate to good success. <laughs> yeah with musicals but he realizes until he's been on that crosswalk he's been nowhere you know he's been nowhere and and it was only a matter of time before he reached out um (laughs) i wasn't sure it was right but you know look we'll give the kid a shot you know that sort of thing and hair was lynn's choice because i I think it's one of his favorite shows and and then we were like okay well they've got to be naked somehow and so you know there's that moment where we're in wigs with these sort of you know uh sort of white flesh colored garments on about to run out in the road and do the age of Aquarius. And, and, uh, and, and he's, he's incredible. Like yeah. the great thing, whenever you do one with people that have been in theater, you know, Dan, Josh and Luke have all done plays, musicals, either in New York or in the West end. Anyone that's been involved in that, th- that theatrical community is so more open to the notion of just mucking in. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what you've got to do. If you're just in a put play, out a show, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're a runner, you're getting changed <laughs> in a wings, you, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, there's a, 
it's a great leveler, the yeah. theatre, because you could be the biggest star there. You still got to walk down the same stairs. You still got to, you know what I mean? There's no PAs, assistants, mega artists, all those things. You, you're in it together as a company. And, and Lynn, I knew, would, would respond to that. Oh, remember, this could be it for you. This could launch you in the theatre. You know, Lynn, Lynn has been in the heights. He's never been in the crosswalk. It's one thing on a stage, air conditioning, Broadway lights. It's another thing, you know, when, when people are, are shouting obscenities out of a window at you because they don't get it. He doesn't stand a chance. Okay, here we go. So then you head to Broadway with Hugh Jackman, Zendaya, and Zac Efron, where Hugh or Huge Jackman <laughs> sort of like big times your character a bit and you defer. But that one was the, the only one you did in New York, and I imagine is quite hectic to do. I'm trying to think as I tell this story how this will be perceived. There's no way it can sound anything other than sort of terrible, but this is how it came about. So I'm at the Met Ball and, <laughs> um, and I'm sat opposite Hugh Jackman and, and his wife, Deborah, and, and they're, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. I, like I saw him in Oklahoma um, in the West End, like when he'd come from the National Theatre, like his, his career, his traje- trajectory, I think is uh, second to none, really. I, I can't think of anybody else who's done like Oklahoma, The Boy from Oz and Wolverine, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's, it's a phenomenal breadth of, of, of ability. And we were sat down and he said, has somebody called you about doing Crosswalk the Musical? And so this is in like May. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? He said, well, I've got this film coming out, The Greatest Showman. And I've said to the studio, the only thing I want to do is crosswalk the musical, but we got to do it on Broadway. And I was like, huh. I was like, are you serious? I'm like, are you, are you joking? Like, and he's like, no, no, no. I, like, he, and then he was like, I'm angry. No one's called you. I was like, well, it's May. When does the? And he said, the film comes out Christmas. I was like, well, it's a way away. Yeah. Anyway, we we get into it, and and it's and it's happening, and uh, it we, it all happens that we you know, and and uh, Ian and Louis have written this glorious script and, and, and The Greatest Showman, the movie, had, had, had very, very understandably asked that a song from The Greatest Showman be yeah. in it. So then we were like, well, we can't do all songs for The Greatest Showman, so why don't we actually, why don't we do, we're back on Broadway, biggest shows of all yeah. time, and actually, maybe that'll be fun. And Ian and Louis wrote this really funny script with, uh, you know, calling him Huge Jackman. My character in that thing would absolutely hate Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. but know that he needs him in the show. <laughs> So he would do whatever he can Mm -hmm. to belittle him in front of his company. We couldn't shoot it where we wanted to for like safety reasons. So we had to move it slightly further up. And we we should say a a huge thank you to Stephen Colbert and Chris Licht and their incredible team at the Ed Sullivan Theatre because they let us rehearse in the foyer. (laughs) So in the foyer, sorry, rather in the bar of the Ed Sullivan, we rehearsed it. It was freezing cold i think we have 55 minutes to to shoot the whole thing um all of the, the certainly yeah. the, the the crosswalk bit wow and then maybe half an hour to do the other stuff because you know zach's coming from the today show zendaya is going to do ryan and kelly hugh's got a radio thing and then the premiere was that night and then they were all flying yeah. off somewhere else so it was an incredible thing getting it all together and we just got all their bits done, then then shot all of my kind of talking heads and yeah. stuff. And then basically about an hour after that, I got a phone call from my wife saying I'm in hospital. 
I think this baby's coming. <laughs> so I had to like jump on a plane and fly back. It didn't, she didn't arrive that day. Yeah. She arrived maybe like three days later, but it, my experience of the entire thing was just one of it being outrageously cold and very, very fraught. <laughs> I look forward to bringing a class and a quiet dignity to the bearded lady. Yeah. And I, uh, okay. I look forward to reprising my role. P.T. Barnum, The Greatest Showman. Are we ready? You, you, may, be, you may be playing The Greatest Showman, huge, but uh, I think everybody knows that it is I who is truly The Greatest Showman. Seriously, dude, what is it? Sorry, do we have to... Can we just stop recording? What is your problem, man? I don't have a problem. You have a problem. don't have a problem. From huge. the very I've got, beginning, I've you've been rude, you've been arrogant, and, and by the way, you call me Huge Jackman. My name is Hugh. It's not Huge. Nobody is called Huge. Seriously, nobody. You know what, man? I seriously have half a mind just to... Oh, God! <laughs> Did I pretend to faint because I thought I was going to be beaten up by Hugh Jackman? Yes, I did. <laughs> He's Wolverine. Did I actually think his name was Huge? Honestly, also, yes, I, I thought his name was Huge. But I do admit, I've, I've, I've been too hard on Huge. Hugh, I mean Hugh, sorry. So, Sound of Music was next, which was you in prime time. Anything specific you remember? Um, only that, that Alice and Janney had just won an Oscar, yeah. so <laughs> we we sort of had this this uh, like wonderful beat of like she's won an Oscar, hasn't got a Tony. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm no one's keeping score. It doesn't have a Tony. You know, all that sort of stuff. And because we had uh, sort of a, such a varied cast, our thing was to everybody would play uh, the lead at some point and then we'd all finish singing the hills are alive with the sound of music with these big huge revolving hill and skyline behind us well i think we've settled it we've settled it okay Janny, you tried your best you really really did your absolute best but i think we can all agree who the definitive maria is i shall be carrying you on with the show shove it, you pompous head you are lucky that any of us are even out here <sighs> i have Never been spoken to like that in my entire well, life. Well, somebody should have. Oh, who do you yeah, think you need? Come out here! Yeah. 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 Knock it off! You guys are fighting over a musical and a sidewalk, and it's weird. Okay? You are both equally fantastic Marias. All right, Allison, listen to me. You have her sense of strength and resilience. Thank James. You have her sense of whimsy and her perfect cheekbones. <laughs> Just apologize to each other and we can get on with it. I'm sorry, Alison. I, um, I think you're amazing. I'm, I do. You're, um, you're incredible. You know I'm what? Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, too. You know I love you. Come here. Come here. Let's hack it out. Yes. I have such respect for you and everything you do. I really do. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry, Canal. I'm sorry, Anna. I'm sorry, all of you who aren't important enough for me to know your names. <laughs> Uh, the last one was Andrew Lloyd Webber when you're back in London, and he seemed to have fun, I think. But uh, what was that? Oh, like? that he come? was he was amazing. So he had sent me a message after the Phantom of the Opera one, saying I love this. It really, oh, wow. you know, it was really, you know, lovely. And and I, and I have I have so, I have a very good relationship with him, and I, I, I beyond sort of in awe of what he's done with his life, and uh, he just had such a great attitude towards yeah. it. He just jumped into it, you know? And we'd written all these sort of bits of like, um, Lloyd Lord, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. And he'd go, no, it's Lord Lloyd. Lloyd Lord, Lloyd Lloyd, Lloyd yeah. Lord. Like, and then we did Cats, Joseph, 
uh, Avita and, and Phantom. Phantom. Where Josh Gad came back because he was in London and just anyway. was up for some fun. <laughs> and we had this idea, Louis and Ian had this idea um, that like, what if we try to build a royal box mm-hmm. for Lord Lloyd Webber at the side of the road? And we were like, that's fun that we're doing this to honour him. It was his, uh, I think it was his 70th birthday. He was going to win the EGOT that year. Everyone was pretty sort of sure that that would probably happen. And there was a lot of celebrations around his career. And we're like, but he understands that this is the pinnacle to have his work performed on the crosswalk in London. So we get this like cherry picker that we put a red curtain around. We also ask him to bring a tux. We say, can you bring a tuxedo? And he turns out with his own clothes and he puts this tux on. And none of us, none of us considered that once that cherry picker was up, it would take a very long time to come back down and go back up. And time is incredibly precious when you're doing these things. When we're doing the crosswalk, of course it makes sense that he's up there throwing roses and applauding and all those things. But what nobody sees is in the bits where we're off getting changed... No one would really know that a shoot's happening, really. Like, the cameras aren't there because we don't want to draw too much attention. So for quite a few people walking around London that day, Andrew Lloyd (laughs) Webber was just sitting on the top of a cherry picker, 15 feet in the air, wearing a tux, holding opera glasses for no reason. (laughs) And it was... But, and I kept going... Look, just say if you want just say if you want to come down. Like honestly, it's fine. And he was like, it's fine, it's great, I'm loving it. And there's some like really quite you know, kind of funny bits in that whole, whole thing that I like. There's a bit after we've done cats. A dog where walks. A dog walks by and we all just <laughs> We are no longer actors, we are cats. So just I really want to feel it. I want to feel that we're all cats, okay? Let me see what you're doing. Let me Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my <laughs> Was that that was written in? You had yeah, but that was all a written. I, part I was, of the I was, thing. I, that was the only time. I was like, wait, did that actually, that kind of happen? That's but too that's good. sort of testament to yeah. the writing, really, yeah. and the execution of it. That you would think is that real or is it not? You know, and and I'm, I'm so proud of the work that they that they do in in writing beats like that, or me kneeling down and putting my face in a huge saucer of milk because that's what the character would sure, do. Yeah. You know. Uh, We'll be back with more James Corden after this word from our sponsor. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about this new phone service called Visible. See, a lot of phone services these days are a bit sneaky, not unlike John Turturro's character in Mr. Deeds. They tack on hidden fees to your phone bill and hope you don't notice. Not Visible. With Visible, you get unlimited everything, including data at speeds up to 5 megabits per second on Verizon's 4G LTE network for just 40 bucks a month. Flat. Every time. That's it. Transparency is like their whole deal. No tricks, no shenanigans, no BS. Which I gotta say is uh, pretty chill. If you want to learn more, check out Visible.com. Now, back to the show. We are back with James Corden. So, uh, through an inside source, I know you're working on another one that I assume will come out. You're, you're about to host the Tony, so I imagine it'll come out in the next. Uh, what can you tell me what, if you can't tell me what the musical is, can you tell me what inspired you, was your sort of inspiration for doing another one? Well, I, I, I can tell you this. It isn't 
oddly, and you'd be right to think so, it isn't actually linked to the Tony Awards. It's linked to, um, we're going to take the show to, to London again for a week. And I can't, I really, the, the reason I wouldn't want to tell you too much about it is I still have a hunch it, the rug might get pulled from under it. Because what we're trying to do is possibly the most ambitious crosswalk. And we're certainly finding that it isn't quite as simple <laughs> to do these things outside of our studio. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the, 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 the hub that we have here. Um, if, if we can pull it off, it will be... I did like it's a, it's a constant with these shows. You're like, well, I don't know what we do now. I don't know how we do it again yeah, after yeah. that. If we can get it right, it will be uh, glorious. I still feel because I'm always quite pessimistic about things because I don't want to get too excited. You know that that will be the next one, which will be the first one we've done maybe in a year. Yeah, actually. almost a yeah. year. Do you have dream ones slash ones that you try to do and they're like you can't do it? Well, Annie, we try to do. Yeah which I thought would be really funny because we were going to have our cast, our regular cast with uh, an 11-year-old girl with ginger hair mm. and read the cast out and then say that I'm playing Annie. <laughs> Just only for that moment, I thought it would have been funny. Um, <laughs> I guess as it, as it, you know, as it rolls along, more and more shows will start I, you know like like i say we don't want to do it all the time we a we can't yeah. afford to do it all the time yeah b we don't really we don't want to do it all the time because it's got to be a treat you know it could very quickly get boring yeah and like oh this again whereas actually if you leave it a year it's like oh there's another one of those things i really enjoyed the last one yeah. you know that's kind of how we all we never want the show to be that predictable it is always walking the balance of being both a, the stunt that you're doing and sort of like commenting on stunts. Sure. So if you do too many of them, like, oh, this is it is a gimmick instead of like, oh, it's a sketch about gimmicks while also giving you the gimmick. Yeah. And as we do more of them, there's more and more so there has to be a reason for doing it. Yeah. Well, what's the reason for doing it? What's the reason to go to New York to do it? Hugh Jackman wants to do it. Okay, we're going back to Broadway with a Tony Award winner, but he is, but like there is a hatred there and let's just keep calling him Huge Jackman. You know, <laughs> it often starts with the sketch yeah. more than it does the show. Yeah. Because if you take the sketch away, then the comedy's gone. And then what are you really watching? Yeah. What actually is it? So there's got to be the, you've got to sort of build yeah. the comedy for the payoff to work, you know? On a recent episode, after you played the game Taller or Shorter, which you have guess, uh, mm. guess if people are taller or shorter behind the wall. <laughs> I mean, that is, I mean, it's, you it's a travesty that that's even been mentioned, but go on. But so <laughs> afterwards, you said something I love, where you're throwing to commercial break and uh, you're throwing to commercial break and offhandedly you just go, and I'll see you at the Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that. And I, it was just, it underlined what you do uh, sometimes in the show, I think specifically like anytime, uh, is it Nate Fernald? Yes. Anytime he's on camera, I'm like, he wrote a thing that's going to be very uh, silly. So silly. But, you know, you you do some Trump jokes at top, but as you see your job, you know, what is the value of the dumbest parts of what you do? Dumb in a good way. Um, I'm not trying. Well, in terms of, like, the, the, the politics, there's this sort of strange thing I've found. I think, you know, not growing up here, not being particularly aware of the legacy and history of of these shows, there's a strange feeling that some people, some, definitely not all, some people 
um, and particularly you could argue some people who write about these particular shows seem to, read it between want all of these shows to be the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that kind of seems odd to me. Like, nowhere else in television would you go, right, from eight till nine, we're going to have a hospital drama, and nine till ten, we're going to have a ho- another hospital drama with the same diseases. <laughs> yeah. You know, someone's going to break his leg in that one, and then they're going to break his leg in that Like, you just wouldn't do it. You're yeah. like, well, that makes no sense. Some people could say, if you're hosting these shows, you've got to play to your strengths. My, I say, you've got to ignore your weaknesses, you know? Yeah. Now, I think, I absolutely believe that me and you could have a conversation about politics right now and it would be insightful and it would be, and I have a point of view. I have a point of view and I don't think anybody watching our show would ever, ever, could ever think that we don't have a point of view. And we actively talk about politics and if something's happened, if we talk about we want to talk about it and more than that, we want to try and go, well, what is our show's way of doing that? Yeah. When when Trump announced Here's what I consider to be abhorrent ban on uh, the trans and, and gay, trans uh, in the military. Gays in the military. It's disgusting and something that our show, me, everyone, you, all are like, what? And then you're like, okay, well, what is our show's way of tackling that? We feel very passionate about it. And at 11 a.m., or maybe 11.30, between 11 and 11.30, we're a brilliant writer who doesn't work on the show anymore, a, a, a tremendous, talented writer called Matt Whitaker. We'd gone out to everyone. Whatever you've got, we want to do something on this tonight, but we don't just want to talk about it because lots of people will be talking about it. And he came in, he was like, I've got an idea. What if we rewrite the lyrics to Nat King Cole's love for LGBT? And we were like, that's great. L, he doesn't care for lesbians. G, he thinks two men should just be friends. B, to his dumb knowledge, is just a phase in college. T, he finds confusing, so the army's now refusing trans women who only want to serve. Trans men who want rights we all deserve. POTUS thinks it's unsavory. Patriots who know real bravery. Trump's got hate for me and you. And basically our show was we, we have love for all of you and that it's disgrace. So then we were like, well, then you go, okay, well, this is great. Well, how, what's the best way to shoot it? We should cold open. What if we do it? Tux, top hat, dancers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at one shot. Yeah, great. Uh, or kind of steady cam. Can we get a steady cam? Yeah, yes, yeah, book one. What if the band are in front of sort of old time thing and, and all of those? So that's an idea that happens at 11.30, which is shot at 5.15 and is on television in New York three hours later. And that's where like our show, we never want to shy away from anything. We'll actively talk about anything. We just don't want it to be all we'll ever talk yeah. about. I don't know that that's what people want from me. I don't think I've earned the right. Yeah, I've lived, like people, friends of mine at home, they go, what's it like living in America? I go, I don't know. I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. From what I can work out, I live in a completely different place to many, many millions of people who live in the same country. Yeah, And who am I 
to think that I understand the plate lines of this country enough to talk. And imagine, now, if something happens, if I, if I feel like I, I want to say it, this is something we've got to say, we will never, ever shy away from that and we'll run head on into all of those fires. Um, we absolutely don't want to be passive in anything. We want people to know how we feel. But we also would really, really like to make them laugh. Yeah. And give them a show that will make them laugh either when it's on or the next day in their lunch break on their phone or their train journey or in six months or a year's time. You know, that's what we want to do. We're also, of course, very conscious of the fact that we follow Stephen's brilliant show where there is sort of nobody really better to talk yeah. with an insightful manner, like because he just has an incredible way of doing that. So then you're like, well, that just happened. <laughs> That just happened. So it would be foolish to then come out and go, I know you've heard that. Let me tell you what I think. You know, yeah. so it's, 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 a, it's a strange one. And people get very, very angry about it. People are, but I think they're just angry anyway. Yeah. That's the truth. And what you have to do is just go, oh, okay, you're just angry. Preparing for this, I, I heard you talk about how, how important it is or what you how to try to be present. So I was thinking late night, and as a nightly show doesn't really exist in England in the same way as it does here. There's a no. weekly show. What about the nightly rhythm sort of works for your brain as a creative person? And in this segment is a sort of the, the our, it's the most, I was just thinking this segment is like the most present thing you can do. You're literally, you have just as long as the light allows you. <laughs> yeah. So what is about this that is like, you know, you're, that's we're a not really playing. lovely metaphor for life you've <laughs> yeah. just given there. I don't even know if you were given it. You've got just as long as the light allows you. It's sure. uh, beautiful. What I've realized, which I think I had a hunch for anyway, but what I've really realized in doing this is that I like a day with a point. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the feeling of putting on a show. I like it. And... I actually made the decision. I had been quite reticent to take this job. I, I was, it was just not something I, I'd ever considered. Yeah. And when it came my way, I, I felt like I knew what my next couple of years were going to be. You know, I was working on a show, uh, like a, a scripted show for, for, for HBO that, that they, they seemed to be quite into. And I was going to go and do a musical in New York. And I was like, I could see what it was. And then, and then I was filming, I'd written a show for the BBC called The Wrong Mans mm -hmm. with my friend Matthew Bainton and we were shooting the second season of that in South Africa. And I was in South Africa and I was FaceTiming my son on my birthday. My wife was pregnant and my day's acting that day had been getting out of a car. <laughs> and that's what people, no one ever really says about actors. Yeah. There's only ever really a talk about like how glamorous it is. But in truth... Today, I don't know where Brad Pitt is, but if he's on a film set, his day might be walking through a door. Cut. Let's go again. Move that light. Brad, go and have a sit down. And when he goes and has a sit down, he's going to go back to a trailer yeah. with like a sort of tiny plastic toilet where you've got to flush it with your foot. And this sort of weird blue water comes out. And then you're, you're really in a caravan, yeah. you know, you're, and then they'll go right back on. Okay hair, makeup, check, sound speed. Okay, and action. Open the door, look left, look right, shut the door, walk off. That was good. Let's just try one more. Go and have a, like, and that, and that to me, I listen and I love acting. I adore it. I love it. The days when it's great, 
there's nothing better, genuinely nothing better than the days where it's absolutely at its peak. And like some people say to me, because like I did like 495 performances of One Man, Two Governors. I think we're on like our 600 and I don't know, 30th show of this now. But like some people say, uh, what, what's, what's the difference? And I say, well, the doing a show like this, the highs will never be as high as they were some nights when I was doing that play in New York. They, they can't, they can't reach because they, there were some nights where it was just, I'll never, ever forget it. It'll live with me forever. But the lows aren't as low as when you're stepping down those stairs to do the exact same thing on a Wednesday afternoon and you already did it 432 times <laughs> and you're trying to muster the strength to do it again. So what I love about this show is that we can really, we have an unbelievably supportive network who just go, do what you want. Yeah. Go for it. Run. Do it. Do what make to make a young friend, make a young, vibrant, relevant show that embraces the internet. Go and run and we'll support you throughout. And uh, and I, I don't take that for, for granted. So every day you can go, well, what should we do? Yeah. And we went off on a riff last night with, with uh, Tim in our band who was wearing these ridiculous oh, glasses that, for some yeah. reason. None of that's planned. I didn't know he was wearing those glasses. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. And that, I was like, and it became like a weird sort of thing where I could imagine talking to my son. And I was like, this is great. This is alive. Yeah. This is happening now. Not one bit of this is planned. And then the juxtaposition of that is we have these huge things which we're planning to shoot in five <laughs> weeks' time, you yeah. know? You signed a five-year contract four years ago. Oh, God. So I will say, I mean, there was a rumor last summer that you re-signed, but then it was not confirmed by anyone. So I, I, I will say it's probably complicated to talk about things that are, well, I mean, like, I assume, do you, I mean, if you want, would you re-sign if they asked you to? I guess if that's... Yeah, they, they asked a, a while ago, yes. and, and I'm very grateful to that completely. Yeah. I, I, I am, and it's, I just, I like, I really sort of, I, I can, I love it so much. Yeah. I love doing the show so much like I, it means so much to me that i just don't want it to ever become a thing that i do i, I don't and 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 i and i got to got to watch that and you got to really watch sometimes if 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 being creative is the thing that you want to do if like and i've realized that that's the thing that really that's the thing that makes me want to get up in the morning writing stuff doing stuff being in a like creating things um you you what you mustn't do is get used to money <laughs> because that i think can be quite dangerous yeah i love i love doing it so much that i i i i imagine it i'm i, I imagine i'll stay for a, a, a touch more yeah i but at the same time i i i we we, we have to see you know and they are being unbelievably patient. <laughs> sure. And they're being very, very kind. And I, it's not lost on me what a great place this is to work. And I, like, I, I, I love it. I just don't ever want to sell it short because I think we might have created a little bubble of something. It's got, I, I consider it to be quite precious. I never want it to be just a, a job. Oh, we're going to work. Yeah. Oh, what are we doing? Who's on tonight? What we're doing? You know, that's like yeah. that. That's like a that's a, a a worry for me. 
and I can see how I could, how I can see how I could quite easily slip towards that if not engaged creatively somehow. So maybe that's in doing other things whilst I do this. That's what I'm sort of finding is like, if I work on other stuff, some people would say that that's foolish to take in your week's hiatus to go and to London and shoot cats. Yeah. But I go, it only invigorates the yeah. show when I come back because I come back to this place and I go, oh, I know what this is. And all of these people around it are brilliant. This is, don't ever, ever be under the um, sort of illusion because it's presented as such that this isn't a team sport. Yeah. Like this is, none of these shows are, none of these shows are made by the host. Yeah. You are merely the team captain. You are merely the guy, but you know, it is a, a whole undertaking of brilliant creative people. I'm just one of them. And my job just happens to be that I just, I just sort of put the ball and down in the end zone at the end, you know, like so much of the work is happening back in the, in the field, you know, um, great football analogy guys yeah great american <laughs> football analogy i think they play depending on how imminent this happens you know like if you know if you end up deciding to leave next year or five years whatever what be it i you've been before the show you were acting full-time for mm. 20 years or what mm-hmm. and this was though you've been able to do parts it was not your full-time job regardless. for sure that is a lot of time to think about what you'd like to do acting wise when you had free time to do it are there specific parts or just a thing type of thing you would like to do if whenever it is that you'd have time to do it? Oh, man. I, I mean, listen, there's so many things that I'd like to do. Sure. None of those might be my choosing. Yeah. Um, Nathan Lane gave a really uh, brilliant speech at the Tony Awards last year. Um, and I don't know whether it was just the way I was feeling that day or whatever. I don't know, but it, it felt like it. I felt like it resonated throughout my entire court. I felt like it made my entire body like a shock. Like I was like, oh man, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Where he said in the speech, he said, oh, and I, I, um, he talked about how this being in Angels in America was the start of a new journey, mm-hmm. which he had decided to take. And he thanked his partner and he thanked the, the people that in allowing him to explore a different muscle that he perhaps always felt was in him, but had never had the chance to exercise. And uh, and that really resonated with me in a way where I would hope, and I don't know if this will ever be, I have no idea. Listen, I'm and I'm completely at peace with the idea, my wife would tell you I'm not, but I feel like I'm at peace with the notion that when the day comes that I'll end this show, that that might just, that I will just one day just sort of slip away and and and, and at best be a, a light remark of, what happened to that? Like, I get it. I understand that that is how I get it. I'd like, no bit of me is under the illusion that, that like, oh, well, I will leave the show and I shall immediately just, like, yeah. that just, I don't think that's how it all go. But I do hope that I would be strong enough in my, core in my to be resilient enough to not jump into something unless I think it could be something or rather not jump into anything unless I think it might be something that might be in a play in New York 
That might be a tiny independent film that you never see. That might be a musical at the West Yorkshire Playhouse to just seek out and try to find things that will feel different. It's a weird thing when you've got like an ego, which you've got to have to yeah. do this, like to do any of these shows. Yeah. You've got to. Your like, name's in the title. That's what I'm sure. saying. Yeah. Like you've got to have an ego the size of a bus, you know? So what you've got to really get in check and what I'm trying to work on now is like the notion that you don't have to be on television every day. Yeah. You don't have to do anything every day. You don't have to have any sort of validation outside of something that might fulfill you creatively inside. And that's going to that's gonna take a, a bit to work on, you know? I read a, th a quote once, I, I can't remember what it was. it was. I don't know whether it was about Johnny Carson or about David Letterman, but, but one of them said, how do you go from having a standing ovation every day to silence? And that's a, that is a, that's a big thing to think yeah. about. But then also, like, I think for me, the funniest, maybe the funniest thing David Letterman said on his show was when he announced he was stepping down and it was so brilliantly delivered. He said, I told myself the day I got bored of this job, a decade later, I'd retire. <laughs> Which is so brilliantly honest. It's terrific. So I hope that I would go... I never got bored of it. Yeah. And I and I jumped before it got old. Yeah. That's what I'm like that's what I want to do. The the sh the Gavin Gavin and Stacey was a show we made for the BBC which many people listening to this wouldn't have ever heard of but it was a successful show at home and we could without question Ruth Jones and I still be making that show today. We could have done 15 seasons. Mm -hmm. We made like 22 episodes over 3 years and went yeah no we're going to stop now. Yeah. Wrong man's 11 episodes. Yeah, we're going to stop now. Like, did we want to stay on in One Man, Two Governors with a new cast, but me stay? It would have been a lot more money. No, no, no. I think we're going to go now. And that, I think, is the, the trick. You're about to host the Tonys for the second time that you've been to the Tonys, you've been to the Emmys, you've been to British Awards. Do you feel more comfortable in the, in the Tony's room than the Emmy's room? Like, do you feel oh, like... For sure. God, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's not even a, it's not even a contest. It's not even close, you know? Like, uh, I would say, actually, the, the Emmy's room is, I think, quite a, quite a warm and open environment, yeah. actually. Uh, the Tony's, there would be some hosts would say it's the bottom of the list, like, <laughs> in terms of, like, ratings and, like, why would you... For me, it is so far and ahead, the absolute best award show on television and i find it hugely disappointing that people don't understand that yeah because most award shows are groups of millionaires giving each other gold statues like is it that interesting to watch game of thrones pick up like like yeah. like you know i love game of thrones i think it's a masterpiece is it great television watching the creators of Game of Thrones thank Richard Plepler and whoever else was involved and their yeah. incredible crew and kids? You can go to bed now. Daddy's won. Like, I don't know how interesting that is. Whereas the Tony Awards, these are shows that people are paying hundreds, thousands sometimes of dollars for a ticket. And these incredibly gifted people, talented beyond anything you've ever seen, are going to perform excerpts from these shows in your living room that you can't perhaps get to see. Yeah. And so I'm always mystified. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You, what? You can watch them all. You'll see them all. And for a host 
it's one that, that allows you to, to do a big opening. Yeah. It's sort of expected, yeah. which I like. Like, it's funny, the last time I hosted the Grammys, the first time I hosted the Grammys, we I think we had quite a good opening where I, it all kind of went wrong. I fell through a stage. I did all these things. It was very sort of rolled down loads of stairs. It was a very physical opening. We had an idea to open for the next time we'd open the Grammys. And this is how always, if you're an award show host, you've got to respond to the show. Like we then saw, we watched uh, Kendrick Lamar's opening, yeah, which was as powerful an opening as I think the Grammys may have ever had. And I looked at Ben Winston, who was producing the show and produces the Late Late Show. And I looked at him and he looked at me and we were like, okay, you know, we can't do anything. That's it. We can't like, we apps. Oh my God, the prospect yeah. of that finishing and us not letting it breathe. So then we were like, we're just not going to do an opening. We're going to do a 30 second walk from the bottom of the stage. Not going to be introduced. That was Kendrick Lamar. Tonight, we've got a great show for you. Ladies and gentlemen, Lady Gaga. Yeah. Like, that's it for us to step in and be let's make this about me for a minute would be what that guy who created crosswalk the musical would have done and so uh the tony awards i think we might have a good idea i hope so it's really hard because you've got to kind of write it and come up with it not that i'm you know we're involved we're a team effort but then you have like three days to rehearse to learn it rehearse it and do it before it's on and then it's live but um I'm excited for the challenge and it is the most warm environment. Yeah. It is a room of people who are rooting for you. No one's like, let's see what he's got. Uh, you've, you've hosted these award shows. You host your show. I assume you've hosted like charity events. People in your position tend to. I'm doing one on Friday. <laughs> yeah. um, what does it mean to be a host? I think it just means the, the person who just keeps things ticking along. Yeah. A host, I guess, comes from the notion of hosting a party. And if you're the host of the party, you're really, uh, you really, you're in charge of just making sure that everybody has a nice mm-hmm. time. And that's knowing when to pop in with a little bit of thing. If you feel that's also knowing when to step back and bring everybody a sandwich. You've got to, you've got to know, I think, when it's your time to do something and when it's the time to just not. Yeah. That's how we try and approach the show, really. That's why we bring all our guests out at the same time, because... I just want everybody to sort of shine in a in a relaxed, free environment. I don't consider it an interview. I consider it a chat. Yeah. And I think they're two very different things, you know? Because I do think there's a difference between a host and a broadcaster. I think a broadcaster is someone who comes out and tells you stuff. And I think a host goes, have a look at this. What's a, you know, it's a thing you're doing every night. And then when you're done with it, you have maybe a few minutes to appreciate whatever happened and then go on to the next. But I like asking late night hosts this question, what is a good show for you and what is a bad show for you? A bad show for me is where we've not attempted anything different. If it's just monologue, desk bit, chat, chat, music, good night. That's, that's when I'm my most down about the show. I think I don't think it's what I was brought here to do. I don't think it's what I should mm-hmm. do. Um, and then my my favorite type of show, a, a good show, is one where I feel like well, there was effort in that, there was ambition in that, there was we we really tried, we really really tried to put on a show. And sometimes you can try to put on a show and it's still a bit shit, you know? Yeah. But like the effort is, I think, what people respond to. I think people 
at home respond to effort and uh, and a, and a desire to entertain you and that's that's what we want to do but then oddly the drive home from those good shows is the bleakest because you drive home after those good shows and you just go well it's gone now yeah how are we going to beat that tomorrow whereas the ones that you feel you've maybe not it's not clicked in the manner that you wanted it to you think okay well we can beat that tomorrow it's so interesting when people talk about older shows like oh they did all these things like you remember the 10 bits they did over the course of 15 years what it is is an aggregate picture you sort of form when you check in on a thing when you check in on your own show four years in you know you were hired with both no one expected anything from you because they didn't know who you are but also chip on your shoulder because you've lived this whole career now when you see four years in do you feel like you've proved yourself or at minimum do you feel like you represented who you are I'd hope so. I don't know about. I don't really know what the, the perception of of me is really. I, I, I and I'm also m- much more interested in what the perception of me as a person yeah. might be more than the show or a host. You know. Yeah. I think if I was to look back at it, which I'm not always necessarily fond of of doing, but but if I was to look back at it, I think I feel like we punched above our weight. I feel like we we did something. We did it. Like yeah. we you know, to create things that are things. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Whether yeah. that's like carpool karaoke or drop the mic or it's jumping out of a plane with Tom Cruise or crosswalk the musical or or any of the the sort of or taller or shorter, as you mentioned <laughs> yeah. before. But like I think those or the you know, the roll call with Tom Hanks, yeah. you know, like Driving around Liverpool with Paul McCartney, there's been moments making the show that I didn't think we'd have this soon. Yeah. Because there's stuff you do where you're like, well, that's good for late night. Yeah. That's good within a world of late night. And then there's things you do where you go, well, actually, I don't know. I think that holds up. <laughs> yeah. Against other stuff. Yeah. And I feel even weird saying it because this is really not for me to say, but I would like to hope that that we mean something to somebody. so that sound means it's time for our final segment which is called the laughing round it's like a lightning round but it's comedy it's the laughing round Mm -hmm. i have two short questions and a a lightning round inside the laughing round which you'll see double lightning i know so i often ask comedians if there's jokes they'd like to steal from other comedians since you're a late night host are there segments that another late night show has done that you wish could just be yours it's a new dimension everything's the same except for you have a segment that is in another show I really think it's very, very funny when Letterman dropped himself into that big bowl of milk in Rice Krispies. Like, that to me is so silly. It is such a gloriously silly thing to do. Like, I mean, just the thought process, like, we're going to cover you in Rice Krispies and we're going to lower you into a huge bowl of milk. There's no way that isn't a funny image to me. There's no way... And what I like about something like that is it excludes no one. It says everybody is welcome here. Yeah. Everybody is welcome. My son would laugh at that. My dad would laugh at that. And my grandma would laugh at that. And I also really love his, like, 
which I kind of say on our show just as a sort of like when he used to say beautiful drums. Have you ever watched the yes, jump yes, cut yeah, yeah, yeah. of him saying beautiful? I can never say it with quite the same level of, um, should we say pen. sort of, yes, because my show's sort of about a bigger energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but some of the ways he used to do that, are these yours or are they Reynolds? <laughs> are these yours or are they Reynolds? Look at those drums. Look at those drums. And what I love about that is it's only a wink to people who watch every night. Mm-hmm. Not one bit of it is for a brand new viewer. It's just uh, it's just a nod to to that. I'll often ask comedians jokes that don't work that they still believe is really funny, but they never work. Is there a segment or one bit that you're like, this is it. We did it. We cracked the code of comedy. Then you put it in front of an audience and they're like, you did, you did not. But you'll remember it for... How excited you thought, how funny you thought it was, and how unfunny the audience. Well, we do have a story like that on the show, but it ne- we never aired it. Mm-hmm. In fact, we never shot it. Where we had an idea, uh, Louis Weymouth, the writer I was talking about before, and a writer who used to work here, a very talented writer called David Deneen Porter, came up with an idea. And on paper, it's a good idea, is a Foley artist mm-hmm. segment, you know, who does sound effects to stuff. And the idea being that all the stuff's laid out and you and the guest don't know what film is coming up and you've got to make the sound effects. Mm-hmm. On paper, you're like, ah, sure. Yeah, I can see it. On a layer, I get it. If someone can't get here to shoot a sketch, they can only be here for the show, but they're up for doing so. I get it. Oh, my God. We didn't even, I can't forget, I can't remember who the guest was that we were going to do it with, but that we never even rehearsed it with them. Mm-hmm. We just had to go, it's gone away. Because we started doing this thing and it was just terrible. It was just terrible. It was like, I remember going, but there's not a single joke here. There is, this is literally, we're watching sound effects. Like, <laughs> how did none of us think for a second there must be a reason that they don't film this? And then... I'm very quick to just go, it's gone, forget it. Yeah. And then people go, well, wait, hang on. What if we make it like a lightning round? It's really fast. And I was like, uh, it's going to then make something that's shit really fast. Yeah. That's what it'll do. But we tried it. It was terrible. So, um, But I really believed in it on paper. The idea I had for this lightning round, if you will indulge, I will say the name of a musical. And if you're willing, you will sing either a word or a collection of the first word that comes to your mind. All right. Of that musical. Okay. Um, and away we go. Lay Miss. One day more. Rent. 10,000, Yep. Book of Mormon. Hello. Hamilton. Dun, 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 dun. Matilda. When I grow up. Annie. It's a hard knock life. Singing in the rain. I'm singing <laughs> in the rain. Sure. Into the woods. Into the woods, 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 then out of the woods. Uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Something familiar, something peculiar. The producers. I want to be a producer. Kiss of a spider woman. She wears satin Spanish lace, which is, someone should look up that song. It's called She's a Woman. It's the most beautiful song from any musical that's ever been written. I, it's incredible. You should, Brent Carver sings it on the soundtrack. It will break your heart. Cats. Buster for Jones is not skin and bones. Phantom of the Opera. Dun, 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 dun. Jesus Christ Superstar. Dun, dun, dun. My Fair Lady. Oh, by Jove, she's got it. <laughs> Oklahoma. Oklahoma, when the wind comes to be down the plane. Kiss Me Kate. Oh, yeah, it's too damn hot. Yeah, that one. Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, if I were a rich man. Cabaret. Willkommen et bienvenue. Willkommen. Chicago. Pop. 
Cicero. The music man? I am the, no, yeah, I am the music man. What does he play? Last one, Greece. Go, 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 go. That was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, the end. That's it for another episode of Good One. The Late Late Show airs weeknights at 12.35 a.m. on CBS. Follow James on Twitter, at J.K. Corden. Good One is produced by Mike Comte, with production assistance from Marissa Melnick and research help from Matthew Silver. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them. What the heck? You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I am Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.